0: You're very, very welcome to our service this morning, whether you're here with us in church or you're viewing from home. It's great that you have been able to join us. And it's a special welcome for a good friend of the congregation, the Reverend Dr. Norman Hamilton. Norman has been with us on many occasions in the past, and it's always a joy to come to church and to hear him preach. So, Norman, you're very welcome this morning, and we all look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for coming. Uh, As you're aware, the Reverend Shaw is on a holiday break at the moment. Uh, It wouldn't be right for me to say celebrating a big birthday, but you didn't hear that. (laughs) And uh, he'll be back to work on Tuesday, the 14th of March. So if in the meantime there's the need for the services of a minister, please just contact any elder or contact me. Uh, Next Sunday, special day, mission service in the morning at 11 11 o'clock, and in the evening, Worship and prayer at 7.30. So you can put both of those into your diaries, please. Advanced notice for the Palm Sunday Soup Lunch. Uh, You'll get more detail on that, but this is advanced notice to say prepare yourself. And finally, it is with sadness. I know Mark announced it last week that Clive Gilliland passed away a week ago. Clive's funeral will be here in church on Wednesday morning at 1030 Uh, And to his son Graham and daughter-in-law Rachel and the family circle, we continue to extend our love and our prayers. These are the announcements this morning. Thank you so much for listening. Norman, you're very welcome. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you very much, Billy. It's lovely to be back. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, and to those of you who are joining us on the live stream, or maybe even by the recording later on, a very warm welcome to you folks as well. We're glad that you are able to join us, albeit you're not actually here in the church building. Did anybody, Was anybody listening to the Radio Ulster service in the last hour on your way to church? Nobody? Oh, well, you missed a treat. Because the New Ireland uh, Orchestra and um, their choir were, I think they may just just have finished, leading the worship. And um, Bishop Fanta Clark was preaching, and it was just wonderful. So my soul is in good shape as I come to Ballycroch, and as a result of Radio Ulster. Um, My soul was not in a good shape last night with much of the day, but... (laughs) but that was, um, that was corrected this morning, at least, on the way down. It's lovely to be with you. Let's just take a moment to think why we're here. For many of us, it's our, it's our pattern. That's what we do Sunday after Sunday. And it's really easy to take for granted the, the privilege and the opportunity of coming here on a Sunday morning and, indeed, during the week. But for millions of people around the world and and those in in war-torn lands like the Ukraine or in the Yemen or in many, many parts of Central Central Africa, in many parts of the Far East, in China, parts of South America, there is not the privilege of coming easily to worship on a Sunday. It can even be a very, very life-threatening, dangerous thing to do. So I hope that we will just set aside, in a sense, the sense of just being here as normal. We're here because God has invited us, and the Lord has enabled us and allowed us to come. That takes me to a couple of verses from Psalm 86. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. And I want to come back to that later on. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. An undivided heart where we're not, as it were, distracted day in, day out by other things and other people. We're here to be for the Lord to refocus us and retune us for daily living. Let's pray. Our Father, we come because we want to. We thank you for giving us the capacity to be here this morning. And indeed, we thank you too for the capacity to—for many people who are not in the building, but to be able to join us on the live stream and later on uh, through YouTube. We thank you that we are able to worship, and we're able to worship freely and to do it in security. So, Lord, as we come, tune our hearts to you. Help us, Lord, to give you our undivided attention this morning and in the coming week and weeks and months that you may give us to give you an undivided heart. We have reason to praise you. We have reason to be grateful. And we want to come with that sense of privilege to you this morning with our thanks in Jesus' name amen. And that leads us into this lovely hymn of praise, 10,000 Reasons, which we do have to worship.
2: you'd hear me singing, I switched it off.
1: <laughs> Could we bring up the, the first slide uh, for the, the all-age section? <clears throat> okay. Let's have, a, uh, let's have everybody play this. What's happening here? What's happening here? The the youngest member of the congregation puts his hand up. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, permission granted. Put hands up. Put their hands up. There's one in every class, isn't there? Why are they putting their hands up? They're what, sorry? They're answering questions. Teacher has asked them something. They're putting their hands up because when they're in class, they are learning. So, that's that's why you go to school, isn't it? You sure? Okay. You go to school, you get all excited about what uh, you're going to learn, and just like the youngest member of the congregation, you put your hands up. Okay. Let's try this one. Ah. What's happening here? You can only answer one question in any lesson, right. What's happening here? What are they actually doing? Hmm? And what are they doing? They're celebrating. Do you know who these folks are? It's what the Welsh do well they're singing at a football match and they what they are doing they're encouraging their team so the first one we saw that the children were learning we've now seen the fans encouraging their team and what's happening here Sorry. Mm Mhm. I think I heard. When do you know when this was taken? (coughs) Does anybody know when this was taken? taken the Jubilee, that's right. It was taken last summer at the Queen's Jubilee celebrations. And what she was doing was thanking the thousands, and I think somebody said that, thanking the thousands and thousands who were uh, in the mall in front of her for their love and their support over the years. Putting those three things together... three great reasons to come to church, to learn about Jesus, to encourage others, and that is really important, and to give thanks to God. It's easy to forget why we come. I think, as I was saying earlier, for many of us, myself included, You go to church on a Sunday morning because it's your pattern, it's your routine. But we just need to remember why we come. Now, there's other reasons as well, but here are three of them. We come to learn, to learn from Scripture, to learn about Jesus, to learn how to be a follower of Jesus. We come to encourage others, and let me not understate the importance of that. Uh, many, many people, and I can say this because I don't know you folks individually, many, many people are distressed, or lonely, or anxious, and therefore it is really, really important that a church gathering like this is where we actually make the effort and make the time to ask other people how things are and to encourage them. Because if we don't do it here, where will they get the encouragement? And, of course, as we've already been doing in our first hymn, 10,000 reasons to give thanks to God. Let's pray for a moment. Our Father, thank you for again for bringing us here. Thank you that we don't just aimlessly wander into church but that you have lovely purposes for us every time we come. And Lord, we do thank you for those who encourage us, and we want to be encouragers ourselves of others. We want to thank you for those who teach in this congregation, for Mark, especially as our teaching elder, as our minister. We want to pray for him, give you thanks for what the skills and the love and the concern and compassion you have given to him. And we pray that he will be not only a good teacher of your word, but that we will be great learners from it. And Lord, day and daily, as well as on a Sunday, teach us to give you thanks for so much that is a blessing to us. So we come with our prayers and our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And our next hymn picks up that theme of thanks. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So we bring our morning offering. I think it's just worth remembering that this is not a, a casual thing we do. We are much blessed, and we just have to see the levels of distress around the world to know how blessed we are. So we bring our morning offering just now. Let's give thanks. Our Father, as we reflect on what has come to us in the past week, we are really grateful. We do want to thank you for for the fact that every good gift comes from you. And we want to give back to you something of what you have given to us. And we're able to bring it, thankfully, and we're able to bring it, Lord, because we want to. We are much blessed. And as we bring these offerings, we do pray that whatever eventual use they are put to, that your blessing will be on the people and the causes and the events and anything else for which they are used. So accept them, we pray. With our thanks, in Jesus' name, amen. you not need me to tell you that uh, we live in a very troubled world. Um, I don't know about you, I found some of the, the uh, t- television reports from the Yemen, from Syria, from Turkey, from our, our Ukraine, from other parts of the world, really, really hard to watch never mind to have to think about what it must be like to be there. So in our prayers, no matter how inadequate they are, we will seek to pray for folks in dire, dire need across the world, and we'll also pray for people uh, closer to home. Let's pray, if we may. Our Father, as we bring our prayers this morning, we are acutely aware that we are praying for people and situations that we don't even remotely understand, nor can we. Lord, we have not lived in the devastation of earthquakes. We have not lived in the devastation of famine. We have not lived in the devastation of our town being bombarded. We have not lived in the devastation of no electric, and no water. We have not lived with the devastation of of not knowing where our loved ones are. And so, Lord, our prayers are at best weak, very weak. But we are invited, we are encouraged in your word to bring our prayers, no matter how weak they are, to you. And they are brought not because of our words or our understanding, but they're brought by the Spirit of God into the very center of heaven. And so, Lord, this morning, like so many other congregations around the world, we continue to pray for mercy and compassion and help and grace in the devastation of earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. We recognize that so much of the damage has been caused by very shoddy building at times, by neglect, and by just marginalizing people in need. But Lord, we do pray that those who are seeking to help in the misery and the long-term suffering of these places, that you will strengthen them to bring strength and hope and help and show mercy in bucket loads in those countries. We pray for the Christian agencies, for Tear Fund, for Christian Aid. We pray for the United Nations. We pray for the, the, the medical teams, the engineering teams, the search teams, the rebuilding teams, for all who are involved in any way in seeking to alleviate the huge distress and to bring some hope, some light for the future. We pray for the sovereignty of God over what they do. And we want too, Lord, to pray for our own land in the in the quagmire of uncertainty and aggravation that there is everywhere. We do want to pray that the God of the nations will have mercy on our own land, and that what is right and good will prevail. We want to pray for our own congregation here, to pray for our outreach, our ministry, to pray for every person with responsibility um, in the congregation, to, to ask, Lord, that as we seek to be faithful witnesses to you in this community, that you will guide and lead, enable, you will help us to be wise in what we decide to do and what not to do, who to be with, from the youngest to the oldest, and that there really will be a light for Christ, lit and staying lit in homes in our neighborhood and indeed across our town. And Lord, we pray for ourselves. We pray for those known to us who are in particular need. And as a church family, we're delighted
2: to bring them to you in our prayers this morning. Lord, you know the people on our hearts,
1: you know the situations that so many face, you know the fears that we have, you know the needs that we have, you know what brings us joy and satisfaction and contentment, and we want to place each part of each day in this coming week into your care. We do thank you that you promise to be with us wherever we are. And we pray that will be our experience of you for the honor of Christ, for the welfare of others, for the, uh, for the spread of the gospel, for, for even ourselves and our own walk with you. Lord, put your hand upon us for the honor of Christ, Day in, day out, we pray. And so, Lord, again, in the inadequacy and weakness of our prayers, we nonetheless bring them with confidence and thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen. And before we come to God's Word, let's worship God again. a, A prayer that God will help us think well and that's very appropriate for what i want to share with you in a few minutes so let's just think about the words even though they're familiar as we sing may the mind of christ our savior thank you Perhaps the desk could bring up just the first slide and I'll take it on from there if you would. Thank you. <clears throat> Revisiting Pilate and Paul. I have the privilege of chairing one of Ireland's last remaining think tank, Christian think tanks. Uh, called Contemporary Christianity and uh, if you get the Presbyterian Herald you'll uh, find an article uh, that I've written for the next edition based on our uh, last uh, public event about a fortnight ago. We're a small Christian charity where we try to dig a bit deeper into normal on how best to live out our faith In this rather beleaguered corner of Ireland. And over the past few months uh, we've been doing some detailed homework as we try to shape our work for the future. So what I want to share with you this morning is part of my own spiritual journey, as well as I hope something from the scriptures which we'll read in a moment or two, something that will be of help and guidance and encouragement to you, too. But before we get there, as part of doing our homework, one of the things that has emerged is that quite a lot of people seem to be at something of
2: a tipping point in their faith. There we are. Or to put this another way—
1: there does seem to be increasing uncertainty about what to believe and how to live as a Christian. Now, of course, COVID hasn't helped very much because the rules and the regulations about social distancing have led us to regard being too close physically to other people as perhaps rather dangerous for our health. That's just one. That's just one of the reasons why lots of people simply haven't returned to public worship on a Sunday. For others, what has happened is that they turn on the TV and they watch the service in the comfort of their homes. And let me say, for those of you who are doing it, I am not making a criticism. I'm just making an observation that that's what increasing numbers of people do. But what seems to be going on is a distancing of ourselves from being rigorous and upfront and committed if we are followers of Jesus. We're not quite so sure, not quite so confident as we, won, as we once were. <clears throat> Indeed, you might go so far as to say, I think maybe I'll, yeah, that there is a crisis of confidence, a deepening loss of confidence in the Scriptures, a deepening loss of confidence in the gospel itself, and increasing reluctance to actually stand up and be counted as a follower of Christ. Because I do think it's beyond doubt that it is getting more and more difficult. It's becoming even unacceptable. Unacceptable to say in public that you are a follower of Christ and that you seek to live by what the Bible teaches and by Christian principles, Christian values, secular And atheistic pressure seems to us in our thinking in contemporary Christianity, our think tank, secular and atheistic pressure seems to be taking its toll. And so I want to get back to some of the basics on this, because that may be the case with a number of folks here this morning, and maybe some of you who are watching us. I want to read some verses from John 18. And it comes from that famous encounter between Jesus and Pontius Pilate as Jesus was being tried. So we're at John 18 at verse 28, and then from verses 35 to 38. If you have your Bibles, you might want to follow it with me. The Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were... My servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom's from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king? In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth everyone on the side of truth listens to me what is truth retorted pilate and with this he went out again to the jews gathered there and said i find no basis for a charge against him what is truth jesus had been handed over to pilate as the head of the roman empire in the area And it's clear that the leaders and the people wanted Jesus to be executed. Now, Pilate, of course, hadn't gone looking for Jesus, but Jesus had been handed over to him by his own nation and by the religious leaders. And rather like the woman of Samaria and other people who had met with Jesus, Pilate doesn't really get The full meaning of what Jesus is saying, because he doesn't actually understand who he's talking to. And Jesus is now helping Pilate to understand who he is and what's on offer. He's offering to Pilate an encounter with the one who is the truth, the one who teaches the truth the one who lives the truth, the one who came from the very center of heaven itself. But Pilate doesn't get it. Truth for him is not an issue. Legalities are. What's the law? So with a sense of frustration, with Jesus having talked about truth, he says, what's truth? Why does all this matter? Who is this man? Why am I having to deal with him? Truth, whatever it is, is irrelevant to the situation that I'm in now and that I have to judge on. But the question that Pilate asked there, because on the screen, he asked it for whatever reason, is a question that is as relevant today as it was then. What is true didn't matter to him. And I think it's stating the obvious to say that it matters less and less, or even hardly at all, today. You'll not need me to tell you that every single day we are bombarded on the media by half truths, by non answers to questions. By avoiding telling the truth, just think of Parliament over the last couple of years. Even deliberate twisting of the truth to fit what is convenient. You just have to listen to our politicians, listen to the big companies when they're found out for having done something wrong, listen to the celebrities who tonight at the Oscars will get huge coverage in the media for what they say and do. And do they care about truth? Absolutely not. As long as the image is okay, it doesn't really matter. And what I'm trying to say this morning to you folks is that we need to be exceedingly careful, exceedingly careful, to be clear on what we believe and why we believe it. Because it comes from heaven, and it is, and Jesus is, the truth. Let me, <clears throat> let me take a slightly different direction for a moment. Back in March 21, Prince Harry and Meghan gave a famous lengthy interview to Oprah Winfrey. And she said in that interview, and I quote, she said to Harry, How do you feel about the palace hearing you speak your truth today? How do you feel about the palace hearing you speak your truth today? The notion that there is something known as your truth and Billy's truth and my truth is increasingly common in what we think today. What, of course, this means is that truth is is simply my opinion, my perspective, my take on something packaged as truth— because when it's packaged as truth, it can't really be challenged. This is really, really important. If I package my opinions or my prejudices or my views as truth, then it's really hard for you to say to me you're telling lies. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. I'm sure you're well aware that in Scotland recently, the government wanted any man to be regarded as a woman simply because he said he was a woman. It was to be true that he was a woman simply because he said he was, or the other way around. Though, as I think it's probably fair to say, as the events of the past few weeks have shown in Scotland, that's very, very unlikely to become the law in Scotland, but that is what the Scottish Parliament said they wanted to happen. And within Christian circles and church circles, there is a view surfacing that since God loves us and accepts us as we are, all is well between us and him. God is love. God loves everybody, no matter who they are, no matter what they do. They're accepted by him. And you may be aware that I felt I had to intervene in the media recently on that particular issue following the, chip, the trip of church leaders to the Sudan. Yes, God does love us. God does accept us. But it's not unconditional. There's something such as repentance in there somewhere. There's something like seeking salvation in there somewhere. There's somewhere like the implications for eternity in there somewhere. And many people still think that all religions lead to God. We're just going along different pathways. You have your true way to God, I have mine and we'll all end up in the same place anyway, won't we? If it works for you, that's fine. In a word, there are many big influences eroding our confidence in Jesus as the way, the truth, the life. Jesus was very clear when he said... The truth will set you free. Not your truth or somebody else's truth or a politician's truth or a journalist's truth, but the truth, I, Jesus, will set you free. That's what liberates you. But nowadays, we tend to feel we're set free by simply following our own instincts, following our own preferences, doing our own thing, promoting our own opinions. That is what will set us free. That is a heresy. What is good, what is right, what is true is much more than what I think to be good or right or true, or might even be very different from what I think is good or right or true. And increasingly, in this highly pressurized society— I'm expected to be committed to everyone but Jesus. I'm certainly not encouraged to follow the teaching of the Bible. I'm certainly turned away from, what, uh, from there being a need for salvation, and the perspective of eternity doesn't matter. That's the world we live in, and it is a modern heresy that your truth will set you free, and you will be happy by following your own truth. Now, you may think this is all a bit obscure. I want to suggest to you that it's not... Let me make this one point, which is not in my notes here. How much of our news, day in and day out, is based on argument and confrontation and aggression and demeaning other people and rubbishing them. What we are seeing almost every day in our news is that what I believe is right and what you believe is wrong. The idea of there being truth, integrity, honesty, Uprightness, these aren't counting at all. So, as we grapple with this modern heresy, can I just make a couple of extra points, if I may? I I want to be clear that I'm not coming over as some sort of hardliner, quite the reverse. I'm simply trying to search the scriptures as the Bereans did for themselves in Act 17. They just got the Scriptures out and said, what do the Scriptures teach us here? I'm trying to search the Scriptures to see how followers of Christ, what, they, what we might look like in a society where it is increasingly difficult, increasingly challenging to be known as a follower of Christ. So allow me to set out two key Bible principles for following Christ in this confused and very aggravated world. There are Bible guidelines, and I think they'll need very little further explanation from me, but this is what I would long that we take away from this morning. Can't quite see the slide there because of the light. The top um, left-hand slide says, truth matters, and the bottom right-hand one says, grace matters. Truth matters, and grace matters. The opening chapter of John describing Jesus says this, the Word became flesh, Jesus became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In John 8, we read this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you hold to my teaching, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It doesn't get much clearer than that. The truth is in Christ, in Jesus, in the Scriptures, in the work of the Spirit. It is not to be found in Oprah Winfrey or a politician or a journalist or a TV show. And with that comes the privilege of holding fast to what is good and of God. Not being way-led or getting watery. Just as a matter of interest, there are over a hundred references in the New Testament alone, in the New Testament alone, to truth. A hundred, more than a hundred. Because truth really does matter. Not my truth, not your truth, but truth itself embodied in Jesus. Let me read you a few verses from what Paul said in Second Thessalonians. Let me read you this two Thessalonians chapter two at verse thirteen. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. Because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you again, this clear call in Scripture not to be way-led into thinking and living by other standards and believing other things. And alongside this—I know I may have said this before here, but it's one that I think bears saying again—it is really, really important to be able to explain why you are a follower
2: of Christ in your own words. I wonder if
1: I asked you to to say in a couple of sentences why you are a follower of Christ, what would you actually say to that? Now, I'm not being aggressive. I'm just simply trying to hone down on this issue of the uncertainty we have about what it means to be a follower and a witness to Jesus. Could you tell your brother or your uncle or a colleague at work or a friend in the street or somebody in your home could you actually explain to them in a couple of sentences why you are a Christian? If you can't, and I suspect that maybe a number of us can't, can I suggest it would take you some months to work that out? I've had to do that on a number of occasions myself as a minister. As a minister, using churchy language doesn't help. I spent, as you know, most of my, in fact, nearly all of my ministry life in North Belfast, which is a pretty godless part of the city. And I suspect Bangor's becoming a godless part of Northern Ireland. And I needed to find ways, phrases, language, words that could connect with where ordinary people were at. And fancy language and Bible language and church language simply
2: doesn't cut it. It doesn't. Most people, and I don't, obviously I
1: don't know the area here, but most people that I come across now outside church, and I live in Ballymena, Ballymena, Bible Belt, most people have no idea at all at all what it means to be a Christian. Now, we are live-streamed, and I could give you loads of examples of this, but I won't, because I don't want anybody to feel they're being got at. But I have had people saying to me in the last number of weeks that they were saved a number of years ago and have never been to church, have never do not know what the 23rd psalm is and yet they were saved 7 weeks uh, 7 or 8 years ago the level of godlessness in our society is mind boggling and that is why it is really really important that all of those who, all of us who are believers are able to explain in common everyday language why we are followers of Christ if we are followers of Christ.
2: Because if we can't explain it in simple terms to them, nobody else will. This
1: is summed up this importance of this is summed up in a verse in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Hmm. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect and with a clear conscience. Always be prepared to explain yourself in simple Northern Ireland language. I want to leave you with a final question that is really based on this. Or, to ha- or maybe to, uh, maybe not uh, much, just a question as much as a contrast, maybe, be a better way of putting it.
2: There are two ways of two
1: main themes from this morning the top left says believe in you you can do anything you can be
2: whatever you want you can have confidence in yourself the bottom right hand
1: corner and we have elections coming up says trust me I'm a politician I will sort out things for you you vote for me and heaven will come The believer, the follower of Christ, says, well, just hold on. My confidence is in the gospel. My confidence is in Christ. My confidence is in the scriptures. My confidence is in the work of the Holy Spirit. Certainly, there is a place for voting. Absolutely, there is, and I will be casting my vote like so many others. But nonetheless, the bottom line is that in a world where it is increasingly unacceptable to be a follower of Christ, my confidence is in him. And to end on a very positive and upbeat note, probably one of my favorite verses in the whole of Scripture for how we live every day. Whatever is true, whatever is noble,
2: whatever is right, whatever is pure,
1: whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, or praiseworthy. Think about that. Think about these things and not allow our minds, our attitudes, the way we think, the things we do to be shaped by godlessness. Let's pray, if we may. Our Father we are so privileged, so privileged to have access to the very center of heaven, so privileged to have salvation on offer, so privileged to have a Savior, so privileged that we can know your ways, and so privileged that we can have confidence in your ways. And, Lord, we pray for your forgiveness for our weakness, maybe at times our ambiguity, our waywardness, our self-centeredness. We do pray for your forgiveness. And invite your Holy Spirit to prevent us repeating such things tomorrow and into a coming week. So, Lord, help us to think and and shape our lives by whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely. Things that are from you. So hear our prayer and accept our worship as we bring it in Jesus' name. Amen. We spoke there about... um, (laughs) truth and grace being the, as it were, the the shape of living for Christ. And our final hymn speaks of the God of grace, the amazing wonder, and the fact that he offers that to us. Let's worship God again. Father, we pray that we will be able to take into this new week what we have been singing. That we will be able to lean on you alone. That we will look to you every day to sustain us. And so, Lord, we do pray that the God of peace will equip us with everything good for doing his will We pray that he will work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ,
2: to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.